Blog Talk Radio. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the host and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Who is January Jones? She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, the 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome and remember, beware. Because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Hello, I'm January Jones, and I would like to welcome you to our podcast today. Now for my listeners, let me ask you a few questions. Would you like to learn what it is like to be a humorist during a pandemic. You may wonder what it even takes to become a humorist. (laughs) Can you imagine what it takes to be an author, recording artist, and actress? Hard to imagine being so talented, isn't it? Have you ever wanted to meet someone who can tell you how to be successful? Now would you like to meet someone who has walked the walk, and now she is going to talk the talk with us today. If you can answer yes or maybe to any questions, then you are in the right place, and I would like to welcome you to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So now it's time to sit back, relax, go get some wine, get some cheese and crackers, relax as you join me in the No Wine Zone. Now, let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. As we all know, COVID has taken a massive physical and mental toll on all aspects of our society. Our mental wealth has been depleted, and now it needs to be replenished. Our guest, who is a former, who is a former Miss America contest contestant, she's a best-selling author, and she is a humorist. She believes laughter is essential to reducing stress and helping us to heal both physically and mentally. She is the author of four books, including one named Rhinestones on My Flip-Flops. And she has recorded music CDs, personal growth, and humor DVDs. It is my pleasure today to welcome to our podcast, Jane Jenkins Herlong. Hi, Jane. 
Hey there, January. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. I've been looking forward to having you on the show, and I've been looking forward to meeting you. Um, Let me ask you, since we're talking, we started off talking about the pandemic, how has that affected you? How has it affected your life? How has it affected your career? Could you share that with us? Well, as a humorist who likes to perform live, it's really been tough. I mean, that dog just quit hunting fast. I mean, everybody was saying, oh, my gosh, everybody cancel my speaking engagements. And I spoke way too fast, honey, then one day, gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was tough. So professionally, it was quite a hit. But personally, you know, as well as I do, you have to dig deep. And Mm -hmm. you've got to tell yourself, you know what, if I am going to live my message, I'm not going to whine. And I love that, by the way. I'm not (laughs) going to be a whiner. I'm going to be a winner. And I'm going to get rid of that age and knock it out of my life. And I'm going to make it work. And so you just, you had to be creative. And I spent time working on my fifth book called Sweet Tea Secrets from the Deep Fried South, because that's my wheelhouse. Uh-huh. I really think January, it made me more intentional about who I am and where I want to go. So for, in that arena, it was positive. Yeah. You know, the whole pandemic was a big, big pause for the entire world and especially people for careers. They had to, as you said, sit back, relax, think it over, make plans, readjust. Uh, so many of us went on Zoom, FaceTime, and it was a for the entire country, it was a major adjustment. Now, I notice uh, you have a little twang and you're writing about the South. So where are you from in the South? Well, originally, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, and my daddy was a tomato farmer. So I write from the Johns Island perspective in the low country, we call it. Uh-huh. And so now, I it was today is my anniversary, 42 years. I know. I was like, yay! (laughs) We made it. Congratulations. um, I had one date. He was my escort when I was in the Miss America system. One date, and he proposed, and I said, yes. He believed that. (laughs) And so then we were married six months later, and here we are 42 years later. So wonderful. Where do you called Johnston. It's really small, but that's what love does. It takes you in a, here he is. He said, will you marry me? And I said, yes. Where do you live? (laughs) And he said, in between, I went, no, you know, in the South, we say like, hush, hush me, tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you're still in South Carolina. I am in this uh, sweet little town, real sweet. Well, I'm looking forward to visiting there soon because we have a daughter who uh, she and her husband are living on St. Helena Island. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have not been there yet, but I'm looking forward to doing that. Tell us a little bit about uh, how your success story began, where you grew up, and some of the people in your childhood, and who influenced you? I I appreciate that because, yeah, When my book launched, I got a call from United Talent Agency wanting to know who owned the film rights. So I got a lawyer, and we've been pecking around looking into it. And I started writing a screenplay, and I was actually talking to my mentor today Uh about this three-act screenplay, which is crazy because I don't do this stuff. Mm -hmm. But 
I'm, I just have the courage to do it and see, you know, what happens. I don't know. But I, I write about Tootsie and you can see her picture behind me. Everything's backwards. And she yeah. taught me how to make biscuits, which I was an epic failure. But she, I write a lot about her because she was my second mama and, or I call her my other mother. And she came into our lives and she is of the Gullah community, a woman of great faith. And I know that God had a purpose in in um, my life, being in her life. So I'm writing about it from her perspective of yes. taking this this little child who was uh, not reared in the best of environments and making a difference in her life. So she was a great influence. And I just believe all things are possible. And I believe in praying hard. And I believe in, in going with the direction that you feel led to go. And I feel like, you know, finding the best version of yourself. I talk a lot about that whining principle, too. I love that. In my book, Rhinestones on My Flip-Flops, I talk about um, Naomi being barren, and I call her whiny Naomi. (laughs) I said, don't you know she was middle-aged and going, I am pitiful. Call me bitter, Mara. And who wants to hang out with that? Who wants to go on beach trips with that? And that's what I tell people. I said, man, get rid of that thing and and, and try to try to find positive things in your life. So that's kind of been the theme of my life. And Tootsie was a great influence. Oh, what a wonderful uh, person to have in your life. Could you share with us a little bit what it was like uh, becoming a Miss America contestant? I bet that must have been a very exciting time in your life. Well, it started out to be kind of pathetic, really, because I had the biggest lips you've ever seen. I was a tomboy. I hated dresses. And I just stood up and thought I could be picked out to be in Little Miss Merry Christmas. And the little diva next to me with the stick out dress and the poodle socks and the Easter shoes got picked and she had her teeth. I tell everybody her mama put those pink spongy rollers in her hair the night before. And as we say in the South, her hair was jacked up to Jesus. And so, <laughs> you know, the stick out draft. So I just got determined that I was going to, and I went to the little pageant, you know, and I saw the child walk across stage in the stick out dress. But I just got determined that I was going to try to be what I wasn't, but wanted to become and really, January, so many people look at Miss America and go, oh, exploitation of women. No. It teaches communication. It teaches a sense of style and grace. It teaches talent. And it teaches um, incredible ways to take care of your body, which is fitness, physical fitness. Now, I tell you, I rest my case. What yeah. is the best principles in this country? Communication, taking care of your body, having a sense of style, and giving back. Hello, that is a good speech. I would want to say it myself. Well, that is a good speech. And, you know, also I'll throw into that, that there's a wonderful opportunity for scholarships that go along with all of the uh, beauty pageants. And that is an incredible thing for young women to be able to take advantage of. Very right. true. I went to graduate school on my money. <laughs> right now we're going to take advantage of Aww. hearing about my book, Thou shalt not whine, the 11th commandment. Nice. Very, very nice. Lately, there's a whining epidemic in our world. People are even whining about whining. Are you sick and tired of listening to everyone whining all the time? So was January Jones, the author of Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th commandment that reached number one at Amazon.com. 
Ms. Jones based her book on a survey of the top 10 things that people whine about at all ages and all stages of life. January is a success coach that can tell you how to help others. When you buy Thou Shalt Not Whine, the 11th commandment, you'll find out what people whine about and how to stop them from whining. This is the perfect gift book to give or get for any occasion. Thou Shall Not Wine was voted the best gift to be given anonymously for those special people in your life. Ms. Jones is an internationally known author in the style of Irma Bombeck, specializing in housewife humor with her book being published in Korea and China. You can find Thou Shall Not Wine at Amazon.com. Welcome back to the No Wine Zone, and I'm visiting with my guest, Jane Jenkins Herlong. And she is definitely not a whiner. She is a true, true winner. <laughs> I mean, before we go on, because I want to hear about what it was like growing up on a vegetable farm, but could you share with our listeners your contact information and uh, how they can reach you, your website and where your books are? And this information we'll put on the chat side and it'll go underneath the screen. So that can, our listeners can write it down and get that information from you, Jane. Thank you. That's so sweet. Uh, my website is janeherlong.com, H-E-R-L-O-N-G. would love for people to sign up for my YouTube channel, uh, Jane, Her- Jane Jenkins Herlong. And uh, jane at janeherlong.com is a great way to email me or whatever. I love to speak as you do. And I love to share uh, my book with folks. And so... Uh, the book actually is again on Amazon, but it is in where most books are sold. It can be purchased at, at uh, Walmart, Target, Books a Million, um, uh, let's see, Barnes and Noble, and uh, smaller stores as well. I was uh, last week. I was at the Christian Products Expo with Tyndale, who's my publisher. Oh, and God. man, did I learn about books! Great day. <laughs> I thought I knew, but I don't know. But I had other publishers that were there, and I told somebody. And I just felt like a woman of the night. I have so many interested people that had published me in the past. Not a good place to talk about that. But anyway, it was too funny, you know, with um, with Kendall and I've been with Hachette and then Ironstream Publishing is a good. But, you know, all these books, as you know, one leads to another and more experience. And you just, you know, you're, you're just happy to share your message. And, and, and like, like you, January, I'm passionate to make people laugh, to make people think. Mm-hmm. And uh, to help them go to that next level of trying yeah. to be, being the best version of them. And you are so right about this whining epidemic. Good <laughs> gosh. I mean, if I were you, I'd do a, a notebook um, to accompany <laughs> that, a workbook. And I'd say, write down as soon as you get up in the morning. And, you know, I well, would. I, I'd make people make notes. And what do you whine about today? What you yeah. need to fix? Yeah, well, my book has all the answers and all the suggestions. And I hope, and also, I'm really excited to announce that I just found out that uh, Thou Shalt Not Wine has been accepted by Audible.com. And it has been recorded, and it will probably be released within the next 10 days. And uh, I'll have my uh, narrator on the show and interview her when that happens. You know, I've been to a lot of book expos in my time. I started my first book when I was 50 years old. So I had a lot to learn, like you, like everyone. 
And when you go to the book expo, it is like taking a short course, a master's course in books and book selling. Uh, And then then the real work begins because once the book is done, then you're talking about book promotion. And that's a whole... That's a whole other animal, and that takes years to master that. Years, yeah, and I'm and I'm very grateful that Tyndale is able to share my book. I just got picked up at Cracker Barrel Restaurant oh, it was in the in the spring of uh of 2023, and oh, so goodness. I told him I said I'll go to every single Cracker Barrel in the country <laughs> and sit there and tell them to buy my book. See, that's what I learned. If you want to take away from here from anybody who is a book person, uh-huh. put skin in this game. Put yeah. skin in the game. And when and I had all these reps from all over that, that push out the Tyndale uh, quality books, they great uh-huh. little books. But they said that they thank they said, thank you for being here and uh-huh. hanging out at our table and mm-hmm. thank you so much for I would just pull people in and I'd say, You see this book? Y'all need this book right here. Put this <laughs> in your library. Put this in your bookstore. And I was all over it and, and they were going you know, and I said, honey, this is what I do, because this is a speaking engagement right here. Absolutely. You know? Now, tell me, truthfully, when did you discover what you wanted to do with your life? When did you discover you wanted to be a humorist, and did that lead to becoming an author? How did it play out for you, Jane? Well, you know, one one door leads to another, to a closed door, to an open window, to a broken window. I mean, you just keep trying to break that glass ceiling, in my opinion. And you just, you try and you think, let me see, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. Mm-hmm. And I'm a singer too. And I, all of a sudden I'm writing music, which is fine. I like that. It's not like it's going to be a number one hit on billboard charts or whatever, but just mm-hmm. little, little songs. <laughs> so you just keep trying and trying to do different things and to see mm-hmm. what sticks. But people tell you, like, they'll say, oh my gosh, that was so funny. And you go, it was. <laughs> you know, you should tell that story. I should. So I went and I started speaking in schools after the my Miss America year as Miss South Carolina. I was in school. And oh. then all of a sudden, I started doing corporate events because it pays more. It's better. And mm-hmm. then I started getting picked up by different associations. And, you know, you got to spend money to make money. There's no question. This is a noisy world we live in with books, speaking, singing, the whole deal. And I decided, you know what, I got to up my game if I want to be in it to win it. And so that's what I've been doing. I was just on the phone with my marketing guy who's wonderful. And, you know, he's done bar and he just tells me the truth. And that's something you've got to realize. If you want to get to the next level, you got to hear the truth as hard as it is. Like your website is not good, Jane. It needs to be improved. So we improved it. I don't want somebody to fluff me up, January. I want them to hit me hard. How am I going to grow? How am I going to grow? That That is so true, because it's not until you find out what you're doing wrong that you will learn what to do right. And uh, it's a long process, and no one, and there's no such thing as overnight success. You know, you hear that word, and you and I both know that's not true. It's a long haul. But the truth is, once you find something that you truly love and enjoy doing, then guess what? It's no longer work. And so your work becomes your pleasure. And I think that's the secret for a lot of people who put themselves out front. Uh, so did you start first? What did you start doing first? Stand up, comedy, writing? How did it, what was the progression for your success story? 
It was when I was uh, traveling and representing the Miss America program, it was you going to speak whether you like it or not. And I liked it. I just uh-huh. loved it. I felt like, you know, I can give some value, but I was young. So I had to realize where's my value? Well, why can't I speak to schools? I, I have a wonderful brother, but he's got a bad problem. And he's, he has a, been struggling with drug addiction. So why can't I tell kids, you know what, stay away from that stuff. Yeah. This is what it'll do to your life. So that was where you kind of have to start where you know you have a, a message. And then that just grew. And as I would sing in churches. And yeah. then all of a sudden I was doing schools and churches and then the corporate stuff. And then the people were telling me you're funny. And then my friend Larry Wingett said, if you got a book, you got a speech. If you got a speech, you got a book. So I wrote my first little book called Bare Feet High Heels. And it's all about pageants. And oh. the subtitle is you don't have to be a beautiful, you don't have to be a beauty queen to be a beautiful person. So that was the first book. And I just had it back of the room sales, no big deal. And yeah. then that led to a book. My sister had breast cancer. So I wrote a book called What Top Paws Teach Us. <laughs> I love their, I love all of your titles. They're great. <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. So all of a sudden, I'm doing more comedy. And Jenny Robertson was a very good friend and a very wonderful individual. She's all over YouTube. She passed away, sadly. But she was a great influence. And so... Uh, I was just very encouraged by her encouragement. And so I just combine humor, Southern stories. I tell a lot of Southern stories mm-hmm. um, with the music. And I, I feel like, as you do, January, I am I'm not giving all of me if I don't tell the story and have some takeaway. Ha, 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 that was funny. Do you remember the point? Yes. It's because the stories have a takeaway. That's the difference in comedians and humorists. I'm on Sirius XM radio on their comedy channel. And I love that because there is a takeaway after every story as I continue to tell the story as a Southern humorist. So if that makes sense, that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Well, uh, what a wonderful platform to launch a career being Miss South Carolina. And yeah, having that. How old were you when you entered that pageant? I was 23 years old. And um, I was, you know, because, I mean, there is an expiration date on pageant girls, let me just tell you. Expiration <laughs> date on everything. So you have to ride that wave when it approaches. Sure. <laughs> so, and, and so I started out younger. My, my peer group in high school would vote me into different things, and it just gave me a little confidence. And then the scholarship, as you said. I yeah. was able to go to graduate school, and that was a, that was a huge gift. Just to oh, not, wow. you know, because Daddy struggled farming. We, he was a you know vegetable farmer. He didn't finish the tenth grade, oh, so I started gosh. picking tomatoes, helping him help me. Uh huh. Well, that's a great story, and what a wonderful beginning. You know, right now we're going to hear a little bit about my conspiracy theory: who killed oh. Kennedy? Who do you think had the motive, the money? and the means to commit the perfect crime of the last century. Oh, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Are you still wondering who killed Kennedy? Over 50 years later, the assassination is still a mystery. It is unfinished business for our country. Now, get ready for a theory that you've never heard before, but will make more sense than any other conspiracy theory that you've ever heard in the past. January Jones speaks the unspeakable in her book, Jackie, Ari, and Jack, the tragic love triangle connecting Jackie and Aristotle Onassis romantically prior to JFK's assassination. 
Did you know that Ari was Jackie's guest in the White House during the JFK funeral? He was the only non-family member who was invited by Jackie to stay there during the funeral. Aristotle Onassis was one of the wealthiest men in the world, with the means, the motive, and the money to order an assassination that was the perfect crime of the last century. Ari needed class, and Jackie needed cash. They were perfect for each other. Now, what is Camelot? It is but another tragic love triangle. Jackie, Ari, and Jack is available at JanuaryJones.com, Amazon.com, and Audiobooks.com, read by Ms. Jones. Welcome back to our podcast, January Jones, sharing success stories with a true success story here today, Jane Jenkins Herlock. Now, Jane, what do you attribute your success to? Well, I, I believe in the Word of God, to be honest, to, and, I, and I, I pray, I read the scriptures, and I believe those scriptures many times, especially in Proverbs, have success principles. Um, about so as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, what does that mean? Just like Zig Ziglar said, whether you think you can or you can't, you're going to be right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's so many good principles, the, seed, the, the sowing of the seed. I have a speech called Don't Throw Tomatoes at My Field of Dreams, all things that my daddy taught me about agriculture. Well, what we sow, we're going to reap. Consequences are tough, and we can't, we, a lot of times, you know, we can choose correctly. As you said, you don't whine. But the consequences of whining can be pretty bad. And so there's so many biblical principles in there that I really, I really love the biblical principles of of the sowing and the reaping. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I was uh, perusing your biography and uh, there was something in it about you growing up with dyslexia. And I think this is something that we hadn't heard about when we were growing up. And now I hear about it quite often. Could you share your experience with dyslexia and how it affected your schooling? Well, it was very difficult. Mom and daddy had the wherewithal and the wisdom to put me in the C-section, which is not a procedure to have a child. Uh-huh. It is the bless your heart, you know, this child's got something wrong with or she's just not learning. And that was my problem. I think I was actually more ADD than anything. And so it was tough. And I had to learn how to learn. And there was there were no resources, there was no medication. I would drink coffee, <laughs> and that would help me get focused. You know, I didn't know that I was a big co- and still am. But I would have to sit in the front of the class with a tape recorder, and I would have to record every single lecture from high school to college. And I was a very poor tester. I made horrible grades on my SAT, my PSATs, and I couldn't get into college. But I just kept trying and, and trying to convince the guy, the admissions counselor at the small Methodist college, I can do this. He let me in. And sure enough, I was able to be on the dean's list and went on to graduate school. Wow. But, but I had to learn how to learn. It was very difficult um, because the classroom was not set up for that kind of learning. My brother is severely ADHD. And I had a cousin. You're going to die when I tell you this. Um, <laughs> my cousin actually tied him in his seat with a jump rope. <laughs> First grade. Boy, you'd be, you'd be on the news and you would be banned from teaching forever if this was yeah. in today's world. Oh, but, for sure. For sure. So, yeah. And then my brother, that's why he has a, a problem because he's self-medicated because it helped him focus. And uh-huh. so I remember when our son was born and he's ADHD 
and I took him to the, and he was diagnosed for sure, you know, if not just throwing a pill, making him hush. But um, one question that was asked to me, is there anyone in your family that is self-medicated? And I thought of my brother and the struggle he had. And I thought, give me the drugs <laughs> to give my baby, my baby boy to help him think. Uh-huh. And, and so, how, how did that work out? Was it, the it right worked thing? out fine until he got to be about, he's very funny and very fun, but that just sort of snuffed his personality. So he struggled. He just <laughs> finished college and he's 33 Oh, finished college. And, you know, so he's, you know, searching for employment. He's very smart, but you just got to love him and pray for him and, and, and just ask for wisdom. Not all children are going to be like my daughter who is like really on point. And I I told somebody, I must have a drywall in my womb because I got (laughs) one this way and I got the other one this way. You just you just have to have a balance about it. And like you said, you can't whine. Just yeah. try to find solutions. And, and mm-hmm. I really prayed about it. And I, I really felt in my heart the Lord was saying to me, quit writing his case. You're going <laughs> to lose your relationship. Now, that, that's good info right there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, uh, I mentioned earlier your five books. And I, I'm just so impressed uh, with the titles for your book. The titles for your book could actually be a stand-up comedy routine. Why don't you, for our listeners, give us the titles and tell us the story behind each title. Well, the first one that I mentioned, uh, Bare Feet to High Heels, you don't have to be a beauty queen to be a beautiful person. I just make fun of beauty pageants. There's a whole lot there. (laughs) And I can do that because I'm one of them, you know, or, you know, was active in that at one time. The next one was getting a little bit older. I can see it's every stage of my life, really. Getting uh-huh. a little bit older, you start paying attention to your health. And my sister had breast cancer. She mm-hmm. survived it, but I was very impressed with her attitude. That, but I was not impressed with the fact she quit having mammograms. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, that was not smart. So don't skip those puppies. That's very important. So that stage of my life, I experienced, you know, preventative, you know, having mammograms helps you understand you can nip it in the bud, you know, nip it in the bud. That's what you want to do. And so then the next was about my mother. We were very close, and it's called uh-huh. Bury Me With My Pearls. And my mother <laughs> told me that, Bury Me With My Pearls. Uh-huh. And so it's about seed pearls, small decisions, dark pearls, which is the wine pearl. Uh-huh. And I, you, you should be able to wear that pearl, but the pearl does not need to wear you. Okay. You know, when yep. you go through dark times, you should say, yay, look at my dark pearl. I'm going to wear this. Everybody should have a dark pearl. Mm-hmm. And then the irregular pearls are the things that happen that we have to find the comedy in the humor. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I came up with that. And then that really introduced me to the world of books. And I got and very interested. And then Hachette picked me up with rhinestones on my flip-flops, which is actually, ironically, it is a Bible study. And a lot of people, I'm trying to fix my hair. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> um, Backwards. I'm all backwards. There you go. So, um, <laughs> so rhinestones on my flip flops. I take biblical women in their flip flops. And how can we learn to sparkle and shine like deceived Eve? What young woman doesn't think everybody else is better than me on Facebook and Instagram? Mm-hmm. So I think I need to make be stupid and go out and have a drink with the guys after work because they've got they make dumb decisions like Eve. She left her paradise. Yeah. She didn't see her paradise until she was out of it. So that was that book. And then this one, 
I started seeing all the people moving into our area and we need to hold on to some of our traditions. And it, it just really, everybody has their story about loving their family traditions and things. So I write about it from that perspective and it's very funny. It got so funny. And so that's really, that's what I love to do is the humor. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, because I really enjoyed writing Thou Shalt Not Wine, because it was an opportunity to explore humor uh, about so many so many stages of life, because our book covers every stage of life and every wine there is. Yes. Uh, what kind of a writer are you? I'm curious. Do you write at night? Do you get up in the morning? or How do you produce a book? Well, I think um, you look at what other people are doing but you don't copy, you emulate. So uh-huh. I, I heard a book on tape by a woman named Susanna Lewis who wrote, Whoa, Susanna. And I thought it was so smart. And I thought, wait a minute, I can do that from my perspective in the low country of South Carolina as a Charlestonian. And I write about the little snooty patooties, you know, the little snobby chicks, nobody likes them. And then, I, so that's big deal with Charleston, you know, kind of the snobs. And so I started, I started thinking about what else, like, so I write about Southern churches and how the cover dish is like, oh, you've got to get your food on the main table. Or they'll put you in the back, you know, and so <laughs> that kind of, so I just I write about funny stuff and why, Aunt, and why Aunt Benny had a dead chicken on her ceiling. And my favorite, you'll love this. My favorite, I'm so glad they left it in because this is Christian <laughs> publishing, is um, when your ovaries go south. <laughs> and it's about me going to my gynecologist. And he said, you have a growth in your ovaries. We don't know what it is. I said, well, I do. And he said, you do? I said, yes, I do. He said, what is it? I said, a testicle. I have grown a testicle. And if you get in there and say, oh, look, it's a testicle, you put it right back because I'm proud of that thing. In other words, I had to grow up. I had to grow up and get tough and not not be mean tough. But mm-hmm. I had to learn to handle things, not to whine. It all goes back to what you're saying. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Now, do you have a special place in the house where you write? Do you need to be in solitude? or? Uh, and I was also curious, are you a morning, nighttime writer? When oh, do you I, I like mornings. That's when mm-hmm. I'm, my, my brain is churning. And mm-hmm. then at late night, it's like at 2 o'clock, I go, all right, give me some caffeine. So here, I got my so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I like to write. How about you? When do you write? I like to write at night, and I like it because the universe, everything is quiet, and you feel so much positive energy flowing in and out. And sometimes, if you just get there and just start writing, you know, don't worry about punctuation, editing, don't worry about any of that. So much will just flow through you. That you're not even, sometimes I would write most of the night, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd go to read what I had written and I would be just stunned because I would think, who wrote this? Well, obviously I had been getting help with some of these things. And I think that for me, the nighttime was magical for my writing experience. And you definitely have to know what time of day works best for you Mm -hmm. and I don't know about you, but I have to step away and maybe take a walk around our farm and just kind of reboot and yeah. think, oh, wait a minute, I could use that because mm-hmm. I'm writing this screenplay and yeah. I definitely oh, need to walk around and reboot on that one. That's that's yeah. a new adventure, but why not? You know, who knows? It could, 
Uh, I just saw the movie where the crawdads sing. It's brilliant. And I read the book and I loved it. And so any of that culture, Southern culture, people are fascinated with. And I'm going into the Gullah culture, which is very fascinating. And so, you know, you just kind of write from your place and (laughs) as experiences unfold. And I'm like, I don't know about you, but I make notes like, oh, that would be a good story on my phone. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, I pull it back up and and I write a lot. See, if good writers write, good speakers speak, good singers sing. So that's what you do. You keep doing it over and over and over again. And, you know, I've always told so many women who've asked me about writing or doing anything that basically, if you think it, 